welcome back to another episode and kind of a somber episode of the Sly Hooper podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. So I guess we should just get into it, I guess. First of all, uh, it's been a while since I dropped an episode. Been uh, kind of busy with work, life stuff, life decisions, and uh, figured I would do an episode on, well, I wanted to do an episode hopefully talking about, you know, the series, the other series that are going on because, you know, I figured that um, the Sixers would be in the Eastern Conference Finals by now. But instead, as I record this at 3.18 in the morning, I'm three hours asleep. I am hoping that the Sixers do not get eliminated later today by the Atlanta Hawks in Game 6 in Atlanta. Because my team had back-to-back collapses of epic, epic proportions. And I already talked about it kind of, you know, extensively on the Box Out Banter podcast that I co-host with my buddy Chris Okamura. He was kind of my therapist pretty much as I did the real-life version of tweeting through it. But I wanted to leave some stuff on the table because I know a lot of my listeners also listen to the Box Out Banner podcast, um, which I appreciate. But I wanted to specifically talk about some stuff on this podcast about, you know, I guess expanding my thoughts and also bringing in some new information as I painfully go through this episode probably go about 20 minutes here um but yeah uh before I start as far as today's game goes I mean obviously I want my team to win I want my team to win the series where you're obviously gonna have to win in seven force a game seven back to Philly on Sunday but honestly it's almost like even if the Sixers do come back and win this series because they have been the better team. They are the better team. Sorry, Atlanta fans. You guys should get credit. You guys took those games away that, you know, the Sixers just choked away and vomited all over themselves, and you guys took it. And most young teams probably wouldn't do that in a playoff situation they've never been in before. So props. But the Sixers are the better team. They are the more talented team. The Hawks are definitely the more mentally tougher team. That is where I will give the Hawks the edge. But even if the Sixers come back and win this series, whoop-dee-fucking-do. You should have ended this series in five. Honestly, this should have been a sweep if Doc Rivers had just made some simple adjustments going into the series that literally everybody else saw coming. We said you can't put Danny Green on Trey Young. And what do we see in game one? Danny Green's guarding Trey Young for most of the first half and drops 19 points on Danny Green out of his 25 points he scored in the first half. We said you can't go with an all-bench lineup as you get deeper into the playoffs. What does Doc Rivers do? 
there was a five-man all-bench lineup out in the first half of game one. And the kicker, Doc watches this all-bench lineup allow a 17 to nothing run in a game where the Sixers were already down, I believe it was eight points at the time, when the run started. So then you make the simple adjustments. Finally, Sixers take a 2-1 lead. Then game four happens. Sixers build up an 18-point lead. Joel Embiid was sluggish and terrible to start the game. Then in the second quarter, he had a dominant stretch, and the Sixers expanded the lead. Although, honestly, some of the process on the offensive end of the floor I didn't like, even though it resulted in made baskets. I didn't like the process behind the result, if you will. And then in the second half, it all just fell apart. Joel Embiid goes 0 for 12. The Sixers allow an ungodly amount of offensive rebounds. John Collins, Doc Rivers said it after game four, and we'll get to Doc Rivers in a bit, but John Collins was, you know, tougher than everybody else. He had two key putbacks that kind of got the crowd into it. Another defensive stop where we stopped Bogdanovich, Bogdan Bogdanovich from hitting a foul line jumper. The Sixers can't grab the rebound. Hawks get it. John Collins kicks it out to Trey Young. John Collins floats to the corner. Trey Young drives to the paint and does this really insane and incredible pass to John Collins in the corner for a three to bring the Sixers lead from four to one. And at that point it was over and Joel Embiid missed a bunny at the end. He obviously didn't have enough lift in his knee because he's playing on one leg. But either way, it was a bad game by him, and it was a collapse by the Sixers, and it was an epic collapse, and there was no excuse to lose this game. But you could at least come up with, like, a few reasons to justify it. You know, they're on the road. The Hawks are a plucky young team, and, you know, if you just make a run, the crowd gets into it, then maybe the other team, the favored team, gets a little tight. And so... You can maybe justify it that that way. I didn't, but there are some reasons to justify that collapse. But then you follow it up with Game 5. <sighs> game 5. Sixers dominate the first half. Joel Embiid obviously heard Clint Capella's comments about, you know, fatigue and stuff like that. And everybody's going to, you know, joke and all that stuff about how Clint Capella was right. Joel Embiid's playing on one leg. He has a small meniscus tear in his right knee that he is playing through right now and putting his body on the line for a championship. That is, what this is the most wide-open championship that I can remember. LeBron's gone. The best player in the world, or the, the greatest player of all time, is out of the playoffs. Kevin Durant is in a dogfight with the Milwaukee Bucks in the other series because Kyrie Irving went down and Harden is clearly hobbled with his hamstring injury. The Suns are really the only healthy team. And now Kawhi's out for the Clippers. Donovan Mitchell is hobbled, but he's still playing through his ankle injury. Mike Conley is dealing with a hamstring injury, and I feel bad for Mike Conley because he really acclimated himself with the Jazz and was just, he. there was all kinds of content and work and reporting about how Mike Conley has changed, you know, worked on his body, his diet and all that stuff. And then he gets injured. 
But this is the most wide open championship you can remember. And the Sixers are the better team. They should have. This is not a normal second round opponent. This is not the eventual champion Toronto Raptors. This is not the Boston Celtics where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the last four years. These are the Hawks who have good players and a good franchise point guard. He's going to be a star franchise point guard for the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young. And I was wrong on Trey Young before the draft, by the way. I will take the L on that. L for Jordan. L for Jordan. Now I'll, I'll take that. But this team is not championship quality and doesn't have the talent that the Sixers have. But you know what? They have better offensive players, I'd argue. Or more offensive players, more offensive weapons, more shooters. And so, I'm watching this collapse happen. First of all, the Sixers build up a big lead. I think at one point it was like 63-36 to at the end of the second quarter. And then, in the second half, one of the things I feared is that we were going to come out looking lethargic and playing like shit. And what did we do? We came out looking lethargic, turning the ball over. We turned the ball over eight times in the third quarter, I believe, and we were playing like shit. But Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were carrying us. And that that was a theme throughout the game. Because 18-point lead heading into the fourth quarter, Doc Rivers, for the second time in this game, and for the umpteenth time in this damn series, decided to go with Tobias Harris and four bench players as his lineup. First of all, your rotation should be no more than eight guys. And also, if you're going to throw out a bench lineup, at least have two of your starters in there, and not one. Because Tobias Harris is not the type of star that's going to be a life raft, as Derek Bodner of The Athletic put it in his podcast, The Sixers Beat. Tobias Harris is not going to be a life raft for a bench unit. He needs specific conditions and he needs to play with players to get his own offensive going, uh, offense going. And when his offense gets going, it's great. But when he's not getting it going, the offensive flaws are exacerbated because Ben Simmons, who I will get to also, is afraid to touch the ball in any type of scenario or possession because he's scared to shoot free throws because he's shooting 32.7% from the free throw line in the playoffs. He has more missed free throws in these playoffs than Steve Nash does in his entire career. That is insane. But back to Tobias Harris and the Tobias and all bench lineups. The only time it has worked in this series is game three. Every other time it has failed. Even in the first half of game five when the Sixers were dominating, that lineup played like shit. And the only reason that the Hawks didn't make ground in a comeback earlier in that half was because they were just missing shots. And the Sixers bench, along with Tobias, was making tough shots and impossible shots. Unsustainable shots. And yet Doc trots it out again. The Hawks go with a backcourt of Lou Williams and Trey Young, which isn't exactly a murderer's row when it comes to defensive backcourts. Actually, it's not at all. It's a cakewalk to the rim. And yet we could not score on them. The Sixers allowed 40 points in the fourth quarter. 
We only scored 19. And really, we only scored 15 because Seth Curry scored a BS basket at the end of the game when it was already over. It was like with 0.1 seconds left. And Ben Simmons made two free throws off of Hacka Simmons. So we really only had like 15 legitimate points to 40. I don't know why Doc Rivers is still considered a great coach. I I just don't. Like, you know, I hear guys like Ryan Rossillo and all these other people give Doc all this praise. They think he's a good coach. He This, this isn't 2010, dog. Like, he gets so much from – he gets so much uh, leeway from his 2008 Celtics team and the 2010 finals appearance where, yeah, if maybe they were healthy, they might have had a better shot to win game seven, but they didn't. They lost. That entire 08 Celtics team is, like, riding high still off of that title. Meanwhile, Doc has had collapses in the playoffs with the Clippers, with the Lob City-era Clippers, with the Paul George-Kawhi Clippers just last year, and now back-to-back epic playoff losses in this one. Like, when are we going to stop kidding ourselves? This I was lukewarm on the hire at the time. I wanted Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry. I wanted Ty Lue. I'm watching Tyrone Lue coach his ass off in this series. Mad scientist experiment type stuff. One player doesn't play in a series, but I might need him in the next series. Patrick Beverly doesn't play in the Mavericks series. Is playing in this Utah series. Luke Kennard doesn't play for the first three games of the Mavericks series. Ty Lue's like, you know what? I need Luke Kennard. So he inserts Luke Kennard, and Luke Kennard is playing the last three games, the last uh, four games of that series, and is effective. I might try DeMarcus Cousins on Rudy Gobert. Oh, nope. That didn't work for the first two games. I'm taking him out. I'm going to go small, and they win game five last night. Stuff like that. Doc Rivers misses all the easy stuff. He didn't experiment during the regular season. He kept playing the all-bench lineup. He is the type of coach where if the first plan doesn't work, he doesn't know what to do. And quite frankly, he should know what to do because there's easy stuff. Like Dwight Howard should never see another minute in this damn series. Every time Dwight Howard is on the floor, Trey Young is like, oh, great. I don't have Joel Embiid at the rim or Joel Embiid playing up to the level of the screen. I have slow-ass plotting Dwight Howard, who is 36 and isn't the defensive player of the year. This isn't your grandfather's Orlando Magic Dwight Howard. Damn, I just call myself a grandfather because prime Dwight Howard was literally right around when I was in high school. But anyway, every time Dwight Howard was on the on the floor in this series, Trey Young was licking his chops. And he's probably going to lick his chops again tonight because Doc Rivers probably won't adjust and he's going to go with an all almost all bench lineup again. He won't try different lineups. He won't try Simmons at the five. He won't try Simmons with all guards. He won't try Simmons and Harris with bench players. He won't try. He'll try and beat in Simmons with bench players, but then he'll quickly won't. He doesn't. He doesn't stagger Simmons and Embiid's minutes. And everybody wanted to blame Brett Brown, and I will always maintain that Brett Brown was a good coach. I don't care what anybody says. Was he perfect? No. I would say he was probably in the 13 to 15 range as a head coach. 
but at least he had modern tendencies. Yeah, he was flawed in the playoffs, but at least he had modern thoughts. Like, I'm going to stagger the hell out of my two-star players and make sure that one of them is on the floor at all times. You know what? I'm going to put shooting and guards around Simmons. You know what? I highly doubt that Brett Brown would still be sticking with Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard lineups, which have been terrible. And then not only that, Doc Rivers won't attack specific matchups. How can you not score on a backcourt of Trey Young and Lou Williams to keep them at bay when you are up 18 in the fourth quarter at the Wells Fargo Center where you have been a dominant home team during the entire era of Simmons and Embiid? Yeah, George Hill kind of sucks. He hasn't really played well since we traded for him. But you can't run at least two pick and rolls at Lou Williams. You can't get Trey Young or Lou Williams in the action. Game three, you make an adjustment. Ben Simmons disappears in the first half of game three, but that's because the Sixers were blowing him out, so nobody really noticed. Doc Rivers noticed, and what did he do? He put Ben Simmons on the block, unlocked his passing, unlocked his scoring, and Simmons and Embiid dominated that third quarter, and it was over. The Sixers won game three. Where was any of that in these last two games? I have some crazy stats for you, and then we'll get to Ben Simmons. Because I have these stats also branded in my head. So first of all, Sixers are the first team in 25 years to blow back-to-back playoff games where they had a lead of 18 points or more. Think about that. Think about that. Over the last two postseasons, there are eight coaches or eight names that have blown playoff games where they amassed a lead of 17 points or more, and Doc Rivers is five of those names. He's five out of the eight. Just in these last two postseasons alone. Here's another crazy stat. Ben Simmons, in the last two fourth quarters of games four and five, zero field goal attempts, one assist. It's not even about the jump shot. You can't even, like, fling up some BS. You can't even take a terrible shot. You can't even take a heave. You can't take Danilo Gallinari off the dribble. You don't take it personally when John Collins is sagging below the fucking foul line. At least attack. The Hawks don't have anybody that could keep that could keep in front of Ben Simmons, even if they do sag off of him. So what's the issue? Another stat. In the second halves of Game 4 and 5 combined, Ben Simmons has had a usage rate Of 14.4. The third lowest on the team. You know who's higher? Dwight Howard at 18 and a half and Danny Green at nearly 19%. And this is supposed to be our best ball handler and passer. But because, like I mentioned earlier, he is so bad at free throws right now that he has no confidence, doesn't want to attack the rim because he's afraid to get fouled. He's not even looking at the rim. And then he'll drive to the rim and not even look at the rim and then kick it out wildly to somebody who's not even open or it's a bad pass. Another crazy stat for you. 
in the second half of Game 5. The Sixers, they scored 44 points. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry made all of the Sixers' baskets in the second half of Game 5. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry alone. No Tobias, no Ben, not even the occasional 5-0-3, not a Shake Milton hot streak. All the baskets in the second half of Game 5 was Embiid and Curry. Ben Simmons had two points in the second half, but that's because it was two Hack-A-Simmons free throws that he finally made back-to-back. Two of them was from Shake Milton, who made free throws. Two of them was from Furkan Korkmaz, who got fouled on a three, and in typical Furkan Korkmaz fashion, because if you watch every Sixer game for his entire career like I have, when he gets fouled on a three, it's always, almost always he's going to miss one of them. He's always going to go two for three. That's just, I don't know why that is. I, a lot of Sixer fans notice it. It's like last year whenever Al Horford was on the team and he would smoke a layup, he would clap his hands. And now it's known as the Al Horford clap. This is ridiculous. The ineptitude is ridiculous. And it just goes back to the fact that I've had this consistent, I've had this consistent stance every year. The Sixers need a perimeter guard that could score. And that is the shame of it all, because I am at the point now where, given where the Sixers are asset-wise, and given that Joel Embiid has now morphed into an MVP talent, and we got to do everything we can to build a good championship team around this guy, we got to trade Ben Simmons. I don't want to, but we have to. Because it's clear he cannot be your second best player on a championship team. He cannot be your primary ball handler on a contender. Because of all the flaws I just listed, he can't shoot. He won't even shoot left-handed layups. He shoots with the wrong hand. He's a right-handed dominant guy who is trying to shoot southpaw. And he has refused to change his mechanics. He has refused to even explore switching hands. He wants to win the game on his own terms. He wants to be a ki- passing kick guy and blow by everybody with his athleticism. But it's been four years now. And I, look, I like Ben Simmons. He's an excellent player. I think there is valid arguments on both sides of the Ben Simmons coin. But it is apparent now. The debate is over. You cannot win a championship with this current version of Ben Simmons as your second best player. And you know what? We cannot hope for him to improve because he hasn't shown it on the offensive end. He was a terrible defender at LSU, and I think that was more because of effort and that LSU team was terrible, and so he really didn't give a shit. But as soon as he came into the league, he became, oh, he might have some potential on the defensive end. He's pretty good. And now he's a defensive player of the uh, defensive player of the year caliber, uh, defensive player of the year type of player which is good. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. He's dynamic in transition. He can pass from the post. But there's just something in his head where he just doesn't want to be aggressive and attack mismatches all the time. He'll have one or two month stretches where he'll average like 20 points a game and seven assists and eight rebounds. And you're like, whoa, what is this Ben Simmons? He's attacking. He's you know, shooting 70% from the free throw line. He's had stretches where he's shot 70% from the free throw line. And then post-All-Star break, it tanks. 
this is where this is where the post hinky gms after sam hinky have really been detrimental to this team because they burned all these assets and the sixers were never able to secure a long-term viable option at guard from the perimeter we just have a bunch of average guards and the conundrum is ben simmons is too good to take off the floor for our team as presently constructed but we have to for Hacka Simmons. So now we're leaving it in the hands of a rookie Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, who can't really blow by anybody. George Hill has stunk it up. Average guards. Thibel can't dribble. Great defender. Not a good three-point shooter. Can't dribble. And that's been the theme. So I'm all about protecting Joel Embiid's prime at this point. I think Ben Simmons can be the centerpiece of a trade where you don't have to give up a buttload of draft picks. Simmons is a nice starting foundation. And look, there are other things that could have made Simmons more effective, but that's the point. Simmons and Embiid are a fine offensive fit together. They're not perfect. Their two-man game is that stupid snug pick and roll that barely works half the time. Or the Joel Embiid high-low to Ben Simmons but Joel Embiid is not as good of a passer as Ben Simmons, so Joel Embiid will just airmail and lob sometimes, and it'll go into the stands for a turnover. It's not the traditional two-man game. They don't run pick and roll together at the top of the key. They don't have the floor all the way spaced out. It's time. It's time. I'm not saying trade him just to trade him, but I would try to pry for Bradley Beal. If things go sideways in Portland, I would try to pry for Dame Lillard. You could even talk me into going a few levels down the guard totem pole and make a trade for C.J. McCollum. I will sacrifice the great passing to finally get some dynamic pick-and-roll guard play with shooters spread around Embiid. Because, yeah, currently constructed guards around Embiid with the guards we have on our roster, it's going to be a 1990s offense. It's going to get rough. But again, we have average to below average guards outside of Seth Curry and Danny Green. Who, by the way, if you're relying on Seth Curry, who has been out of his mind in these playoffs, he's been awesome, and I hope he stays in Philadelphia. If you're relying on Seth Curry to drop 30 every night as a your primary ball handler, scoring threat, you're going to have a bad time. So it's time. Even if the Sixers win this series, if they don't win the championship, this team can't come back. And this coaching staff can't come back. Although ownership is already paying Brett Brown's contract after firing him last year. So if you fire Doc Rivers, who has four more years left on his contract after this year, you're going to be paying a lot of money to coaches who aren't in the building anymore. So Daryl Morey, who was hired after Doc Rivers, because ownership likes to do things ass-backwards, can't even hire his own coach, probably. I really want to see what the 2022 offseason looks like. And yes, my mind is there already. Because, of, because the flaws that I've had, the fears that I had for this team and its flaws, they came out in the worst way these last two games. And it's soul-crushing, because I'm a sports fan, you know? Watching your team just blow a lead like that, that's 
<laughs> it's not fun. I'll tell you that. And you know, it it was it's there's some easy fixable stuff, but there's just inherent flaws with this team that every Sixer fan knew about and it's time for some changes. It's time to get a dynamic guard with Embiid. Um obviously they tried to trade for Harden, they tried to trade for Kyle Lowry. Daryl Morey knows. He knows what the issue is. Ben Simmons has been through two coaches. Brett Brown has begged Ben Simmons to shoot threes. And now this new coach, Doc Rivers, he's been publicly enabling Simmons to not do anything on offense, scoring-wise. Doc Rivers loves to insult your intelligence if, you know, you question Ben Simmons and his aggressiveness. Doc Rivers even questioned Ben Simmons' own thoughts on his own aggressiveness after game four. Ben Simmons said himself, I needed to be more aggressive scoring. And Doc Rivers was like, I don't agree with that. He ne- he needed to be more aggressive with the pass and pace. I agree with that. Like, dude, we get it. You're Doc Rivers. You're the PR player's coach. You're supposed to pump up your guys. But can you not call reporters an idiot in that they don't know anything about basketball when they ask you if you had any thoughts in your mind to take Ben Simmons out of the game when they do hack a Ben? Because you didn't do it in the last series against Washington when they did hack a bin in game four. But boy, these last two games, when they started going hack a Simmons, guess who was on the sideline? On the bench. Ben Simmons. So why was that reporter an idiot again, Doc Rivers? He's so overrated. Like, I can't... I, and this isn't this isn't some new take. I've had this for a long time. Like I had this since the hiring happened. I, when the hiring happened and I tweeted it, I actually searched up old Doc tweets that I had before the season started. It wasn't a creative hire, and it was indicative of ownership, who had done basically not anything innovative since Hinky had left, or Hinky quote unquote resigned, aka forced out of the league by Adam Silver. By the way, the Sixers deserve all the slander, but I will still argue with anyone who thinks the process didn't work. By definition, the process worked. Was the human element, you know, dismissed a little bit? Okay, yeah, sure, I'll hear that argument. But that's irrelevant to the goal of the process. And that's the only thing anti-process people have to hang on. Oh, the human element. I knew the process wouldn't work. No, the point of the process was to tank. So here's the chain. In NBA history, on championship teams, what's the common denominator? That guy has an MVP caliber top 10, top 5 player. Every team, except for the Pistons, who had great players anyway. They had four-time defensive player of the year, Bill Wa- uh, Ben Wallace. They had Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, etc., etc. But to win a championship, you need the guy. Or multiple guys, preferably. preferably. But if you hit on one, you're good. Then it's easy to build out from there. Or at least it should have been post-Hinky, but apparently it wasn't. The point of the process was to tank. How do you get those star players? You get high draft picks. How do you get a high draft pick? You have to stink. Okay. So how can I stink more to increase my odds? 
And yeah, I know that sounds computer and analytical or whatever, but those are the facts. You need a high draft pick to get a star. And the Sixers got one. So the process worked. It's not debatable. So I'm not going to hear any of that. I will definitely, like, the the team definitely deserves to get slandered. I think everybody but Embiid, because this dude's putting his body on the line. I think Seth Curry is abs- should be absolved from slander. Thibel and Maxi, those are the only four people I want back on this team. And Danny Green. But I'm not going to hear any anti-process takes and any victory laps from anti-process people because they were in their feelings about the moralities of tanking. I've been a Sixer fan my whole life. If you've seen some of the teams I've watched, yeah, watching the two and a half years, by the way, it was two and a half years of losing games intentionally. Not three, not four, not five, like Mike Wilbon says, not eight years, like some anti-process people say, stop moving the goalpost. It was just two quick, painless years. Well, the 10-win season was kind of rough to watch because I was writing for hashtag basketball at the time and I was writing daily game logs <laughs> or, you know, every game game logs for every Sixer game for that 10-win team. That wasn't fun. But I've seen the Sixers in the playoffs in a, more times than I have had probably at least consecutively because after the Iverson finals, Those teams were mediocre because they didn't know how to build around Iverson. And then they tried to fool themselves into thinking the Drew Holiday, Andre Iguodala, Jody Meeks, Lou Williams, Thaddeus Young, Evan Turner, Elton, old Elton Brand after he ripped up his Achilles. They thought that that was the core. And the only reason they made it to the second round of the playoffs in the lockout season was because Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah got hurt in the first round. These last, the Jimmy Butler Sixer team, the uh, Embiid, Reddick, Simmons, Harris, Butler team, and this team are already two of the best Sixer teams I've ever seen in my life. Joel Embiid has had a season that was better than any season Iverson has had in Philly with the exception of the finals run. And yeah, I said it, when you account for the defensive impact that Embiid has, defensive caliber, defensive player of the year caliber defense, and the world-destroying offense on the block. This season was up there. It was right behind Iverson's MVP season. And if you want to take impact on both ends of the floor, Embiid had the best season I've seen from a sixer. We got the guy. The process worked. It's not debatable. I'm sorry. And whoever hears this, if you want to at me or whatever, the ad is at Jordan underscore Xmas, by the way. And you want to argue with me about it, go ahead. What I won't argue with you about, though, is that this Sixer team is an abomination. They shouldn't bring this team back. And even if they win this series, they're just going to get smacked by Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. If the Bucks and the Sixers play, it's going to be a calamity fest. It's going to be like, who's going to not outcoach the other coach the most between Doc Rivers and Mike Budenholzer or Budenholzer? 
There's like three different pronunciations for it, so I just call him Bud, but whatever. Some changes need to happen, and unfortunately, I would start with firing Doc Rivers, although I know that's not going to happen, so you have to look at the next domino. Maybe try to offload Tobias Harris to get a perimeter scoring guard that way so you can kind of fit the puzzle piece next to Simmons and Embiid, and Simmons doesn't have to be the primary ball handler anymore. But here's the problem with Simmons again. I don't know if he'll relinquish the ball handling duties. As you could tell, it's been a uh, very rough 48 hours in my sports world. But, you know, Padres have lost six out of their last eight games. They actually got a win last night against the uh, Cincinnati Reds in a full-capacity Petco Park. <laughs> Mark Melanson blew a 2 nothing save in the bottom of the ninth, or in the top of the ninth. Reds take a 4-2 lead, and then the Padres still win, walk it off with back-to-back two-run homers. My teams are just collapsing. Hopefully that's not a bad omen for my uh, 49ers, though. Hopefully. Hopefully. Anyway, do I think the Sixers will win tonight? My heart wants to say yes. My brain tells me there's a non-zero percent chance the Sixers will win this game and bring it back to Wells Fargo Center. But I have no faith in Doc Rivers. I really don't. I have faith in Bede will show up. I have faith Seth Curry will show up. Will Ben Simmons actually be aggressive for once? And that's the problem. I think I've gone long enough here. I'm going to get some sleep. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I will drop a few more, then I'm going to go on vacation in July. Very excited for that. Going to dip out on July 1st and be on vacation for about a week. And then about a week after that, come back more consistently with episodes, obviously give some finals takes and stuff like that. Definitely going to be talking about the Eastern Conference Finals over the next couple of episodes before I dip out for vacation. So thanks for listening as always. Spread the word. Leave a like and a review. And until next time, deuces, I guess.